Hello, my name's Gary, and this is episode 42 of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On today's show, we'll be talking with Duncan Jones, writer, director and producer, as well as EV champion and environmental supporter. This is a change of plan, as this episode was originally going to be the lockdown episode that we talked about at the end of the uh, the last broadcast, but Duncan became available at fairly short notice to record this discussion, and I didn't want it sitting in a queue for several weeks, so I made the decision to move it up to this week's broadcast. Before we get started, I want to say thank you for the feedback on the last episode. A lot of you loved the rebranding exercise. Thanks to Gary Wales for doing that for me once again. I'm sort of torn when I hear feedback like that because I designed and created the original logo myself, so I'm a little attached to it. And when people tell me they like the new one better, it stabs me a little right in the heart. But then again, it was designed by someone who's far more skilled doing that than I am, so I would damn well hope it was better than my version. Our feature topic today is a discussion with Duncan Jones. For those of you who don't know Duncan, he was born into a creative family in Kent back in the early 70s, worked with a well-known ad agency in the early 80s, and was thrust into prominence on the international stage back in 2009, when a little film for which he wrote the story and directed was released. It was a simple story with one main character and a robot, and it was set on Earth's closest celestial neighbour. The film was Moon with Sam Rockwell, and it led to directing gigs for Source Code, the Warhammer movie adaptation, Mute, and he's currently in pre-production on his next feature, Rogue Trooper, based on the science fiction strip in the British comic 2000 AD. But I'm not talking to him about films today. Duncan is also a vocal supporter of electric vehicles and renewable energy, as well as a supporter of climate change initiatives. I chatted with him uh, last week from his home in Los Angeles over Zoom, and we covered all sorts of interesting topics in the EV and renewable space. The audio you're about to listen to was taken straight from Zoom, so there are one or two slight glitches due to connectivity issues. Also, if you're listening to this sometime in the future, this was recorded right in the middle of the COVID-19 quarantine period, which would explain some of the comments regarding the lack of smog in Los Angeles, for example. To set the scene, I asked Duncan, what was the first car he ever owned? The first car I owned, I'm embarrassed to say, was a Jeep Grand Cherokee, which is a bit fancy. I basically, I had had, I, I, I got kicked out of school. And then after getting kicked out of school, I basically academically did not hit my, my expectations for a while, for a year or two. <laughs> basically I was, I was, I was, um, yeah, I was just not, I was, I did not, my head was not in it, but then at some, eventually after, after, after doing some, 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 some jobs some, and actually working at a school for kids with learning disabilities for a little while, I kind of uh, grew up a little bit and uh, got into college. And when I got into college, my dad was so relieved that he, he got me, got me a very nice car. <laughs> so that was my, so my first car when I was about 20, you know, 20, 20 years old was a Jeep Grand Cherokee. All right then. And maybe related to that, but I don't know. What was the first accident you were in? You know what? I've been very fortunate. I've never been in a serious car accident, you know, other than the occasional you know, not paying attention when I'm parking the car or something. I've never, I've never properly damaged a car. Oh, that's awesome. 
Yeah. No, I'm, I feel you shouldn't have asked me that. Now I've got to touch some wood or something because <laughs> it's going to happen the next time I go out. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, the first car I ever bought was a Porsche 911. And the first major accident I had was when I wrote it off. Oh, my goodness. It wasn't leaving the, uh, the, the court, was it? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> no. Getting a bit exuberant with the accelerator. <laughs> no, actually, I'd had, I'd had them for about 10 years, and it, I, I aquaplaned in a storm. and it. Uh, oh, my Lord. That must course. have been terrifying. Yes, it was. Actually, you know what? I'll tell you, the fact, the fact that I got a Jeep Grand Cherokee also was because um, at the time I was at college in Ohio in, in, the, in the U.S., and they have some some real beasts of storms that come through in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the, one of the reasons I didn't get into any accidents is that car was fantastic when we were driving through the snow and stuff, and we had these crazy snowstorms driving through the countryside. Having spent a couple of years living in Indianapolis, I know exactly what you're talking about because that's <laughs> very, very similar, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you get your first speeding ticket? Oh, that was, that was pretty rapid. <laughs> that was pretty rough and it would have been in Ohio I actually learnt to drive in it was in Manchester actually is where I is where I got my driver's license so I, I I'm not sure if you've driven much around there but there were at, at least when I learned to drive which would have been oh 1990 like 1998 99 I think mm-hmm. something around there anyway lots of one-way streets around Manchester so I, I could have very easily gotten a ticket when I was taking my driver's test just because of the number of one-way streets I norm- I almost pulled into. <laughs> but I ended up getting my speeding tickets in, in, in Ohio. Basically, you know, big straight roads, no one around, police hitting the, the number of tickets they need to at the end of the month. They, they always get... <laughs> yeah, I had one of those in Florida. But there yeah. we go. <laughs> what was, what's the favorite car you've owned so far? I had the most fun with a Mini Cooper. Actually, it was the very it was the very last year that Mini Cooper were making um, the old Mini Coopers, not the not the new ones. Yeah. Um, and I managed to I managed to get hold of one of them, and that was just so much fun. I just absolutely loved it. It's this little little blue and white gem, and me and me and my mates all crammed in there. So it was four of us in this tiny little Mini Cooper, and we went on a we went on a road trip, and went out past Stonehenge and went to. A, a number of Iron Age Celtic um, sites around the, the kind of the, the, the southwest, and uh, that was that was just so much fun. I had an 850 Mini that somebody had taken the engine out and put a uh, 1.3 liter Morris engine in, and so you know how the seams used to stick out. They turned those yes. in and smoothed it round. Two tone blue paint job on it. It was fantastic. <laughs> Loved it. So what, what car do you drive now? So right now I have a, um, I, I bought it new, but it is now 10 years old, Mustang from 2011. So w- when I got out here to, to work, you know, my, my, my editor kept on egging me on to get this Mustang because I've been going on about Mustangs for ages. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm British. I've come to America. Everyone who's British who comes to, especially out to California, wants a Mustang. And I obviously really wanted one of the classic ones, but I'm not, I'm not a, a I'm not enough of a car enthusiast to feel comfortable about f- looking after a proper classic Mustang. So I looked at what they were selling at the time and they were like, oh, they've got a V6 version, which obviously not impressive because they had a more, they had a more powerful engine. But I was, I was incredibly worried about having too powerful a car. So I got this V6 2011 Mustang 
and uh, it's it's done great. It's it's still just ticking along, happy happy as can be. I'm obviously waiting for this for my transition to getting a proper EV, which is you know one of the reasons why we're talking. Indeed, actually, some of the stuff that's going on right now is very is is impacting on that because uh, Rivian, which is the the car that I've wanted to get and have been waiting for, I've been on the waiting list for a while. It looks like their production is going to be delayed for a while, so. That might me make that might end up making me another Tesla guy. Oh, now that's interesting because I want you to talk about the Rivian and the Cybertruck a little bit later on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But wh- which particular Rivian did you order? Did you order the truck or did you order the SUV type? Well, I've got I've got two I've got two small kids and and my wife and her mum, so we've actually got a big load to carry. So it would be the SUV, okay. um, unless I can stack them in the back <laughs> of the pickup. <laughs> now. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm aware, of course, that you just said that there, there's potentially a, a delay on that. Do you think there'll yeah. also be an additional impact? Because obviously Amazon have put in that order for whatever it is. 100,000, yeah, the delivery but vehicles. Is that going to affect it? I can only assume that they knew that that was coming. I mean, I don't think that they were like, oh, God, what are we going to do? We've got 100,000 cars we have to deliver. <laughs> I, think, I think that they had that all in their, in their production plan. So I would imagine that they, I mean, I can only imagine that they will be portioning a percentage of their production specifically for pre, you know for customers because we all you know we we got on the waiting list quite a long time ago now mm-hmm. so i i think it would be not responsible or particularly good pr for them if all the people who kind of put them in a position to be able to keep going were suddenly pushed off for another year while they dealt with Amazon delivery vehicles. So I, I would hope and imagine that they'll have a segment you know, of, of their production specifically for uh, people who've been on the waiting list. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Now, winding it back around to the old Cybertruck, I mean, obviously, when you placed the order for the Rivian, the Cybertruck didn't exist. Yeah. When the Cybertruck right. did came, come out and we had that ridiculous launch where everybody went, what the heck is this? You know. <laughs> I remember you tweeted to me the, the old Indiana Jones one, you know, I think I've chosen wisely. <laughs> the, Has the, the, your the, position changed on that at all? I, listen, I tell you what I am fascinated by, and, and all credit to Tesla for, for just going for it and for, and for not worrying about expectations or, or necessarily, you know, not, not letting practicality guide their decision-making. It's an it's an it's an unique and amazing looking thing, and I did not expect so many people to to order it. And there is a difference, obviously, between pre-orders and people who actually go the whole way and end up paying the full rate and having the car come to them. So, mm-hmm. you know, what that trans what that's going to translate into the hundred thousand was that a hundred thousand orders as well or something? It was quite a lot. I think, well, some ridiculous it. amount, yeah, totally. It was a, it was a lot of people. How many people end up with that with that car? I don't know, but I think it's actually going to be higher than I was expecting. I mean, you mentioned that at some point you're going to have to make a decision potentially between the Rivian and the Cybertruck. What, what's going to guide that? Well, you see, you see, that's not exactly right because because to me that the Cybertruck, as as cool as it might look, is not the is not the car I need. I needed more something more of an SUV. So I'm actually probably going to get the Model Y uh... only because it means that I can get the car now. I really do. I mean, I loved, I loved my Mustang. It was wonderful, but I, I, I can't keep living in, in denial that I have this ice car out there. It's ice muscle car, um, <laughs> little muscles, muscle car. But um, I, I, and, and, and I'm such an EV enthusiast myself. I really, really want to get into an EV. 
and I've been trying to find the right one, but you know, with a, with a family, it's a bit tricky. Even even the Model Y is really going to be difficult as far as fitting everything in with the two strollers, the two car seats, grandma, my wife. You know, it's 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 a lot of stuff to fit in there. So it's probably going to become our second car. You know, by my run around for going to work and things like that, and 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 we'll use it like if we have to take one of the kids somewhere or something like that. But I'll probably get the Model Y. I'm thinking about that anyway. Talk to me about how you got into, I mean, obviously you, you're driving around this big muscle car for 10 years and then suddenly you've, you've had, was it an epiphany when it came to EVs or what, what, what was the thing? Well, I mean, I've, I've been a, as one of your rivals, the fully charged show is, is a, is a show I've been, you know, watching and, and um, being, a, be, being very fond of for a long time. And it wasn't just EVs as well. It was solar panels for the house and, and things like that. And really just trying to find a way to live what I preach you know, the car was really the kind of the, the last big move, this thing that I needed to to really get sorted out. But at the same time, I you know, with with the bigger family, I had a responsibility to find something that was practical and not just, you know, making me feel good. Mm-hmm. So Rivian really fit the bill for that. But, you know, like I said, with the delays, it might be a matter of, of waiting a couple of years. And at least that'll give Rivian a time to work out their technology and me feel comfortable that it is the right car for me. Let other people try it out first. That, again, still still thinking about it here, but uh, I do want to get an EV. So I think the Model Y might be the right, right way to go. You're quite vocal on Twitter regarding you know, renewables and, and EVs and things like that. And you're one yeah. of the few, the few Hollywood people who, who is actually sort of quite open about that. Yeah, there's a lot of people in California who go around and they'll buy a Tesla and they'll think, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. But you're one of the few people who's actually come out and, and you know, I won't use the word activist, but, you know, you're quite vocal on that. Yeah, that I mean, a conscious decision or did that just sort of happen? I, I'm very opinionated. <laughs> I'm a very opinionated person and and not always right <laughs> but I've always got an opinion <laughs> the thing the thing is I think that I, I just feel that there are better ways to do things mm-hmm. and there is an absolute responsibility on me now as a dad to try and leave the planet a little bit better than 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 you know it is now and I just feel that there's better ways to do things and whether it's offshore wind onshore wind, wave power, geothermal. I mean, there's so many ways that we can be using, collecting reusable energy mm-hmm. that the battle against fossil fuels just feels like something we should be winning even faster than we are now. So I think my frustrations come out of that in yeah. that if we really applied ourselves, we could really revolutionize how we collect energy, the energy we use, and and how much cleaner the environment can be, especially, you know, I live in Los Angeles and, and I used to come to Los Angeles. I'm old enough that I used to come to Los Angeles back in the seventies as a kid and barely be able to breathe here. Honestly, I'd lift, I'd, we'd, we'd be out here for a week or two for either dad was working or was visiting my mum. I couldn't go outside cause I couldn't breathe. I remember that and it's much, much, much better now, but you still have bad days and the pollution can get really kind of heavy when, you know, when it's a really, you know, just a still day and it's hot and all the cars are out and everyone's using the air, air conditioning. And it doesn't have to be that way. That's the thing is, is I truly believe it doesn't have to be that way. And if it doesn't have to be that way here, it sure as hell doesn't have to be that way in London or other cities where things are not as, as geographically kind of designed to trap pollution. Los Angeles is just, is just, <laughs> it's just in a really bad place because it's surrounded by mountains. And, and when you get a still day, everything just gathers in the city. 
Have you seen some of the recent pictures of downtown LA without any of the smog? Because of course everybody's in quarantine now. So you it's know. stunning. It's not. I mean, Los Angeles for sure, but there's 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 pictures coming from all over the world. I think there's there's, there's um I remember seeing a city uh, in in India where they they could actually see they could see the um uh, God the Himalayas. You could see the Himalayas. It was the first time in thirty years that that, that anyone had seen the Himalayas from this city. No, it's just, it's, it's tragic what's going on. And Lord knows we all want to be able to get out of our houses and, and hug our friends and, and just go hang out. But it is fascinating to, to have this unintended experiment going on where we can actually see how fast things change when we don't do things the way we normally do them. I mean, you live in Southern California and they're very progressive when it comes to things yeah. like this. What impact do you think seeing things like, you know, the lack of smog, what's that going to have on the lawmakers out there? Are they going to take that on board or, or, or what? What do you think? It's, it's very interesting. And I don't, I don't know yet. And um, I think it's a conversation that needs to gather some energy and momentum while we're all still locked down, I, I feel. But, you know, there's so many phases to this thing that are going on in that people have to get used to staying at home. People have to start working out their routines. They have to start working out how to look after their kids when their kids are not at school. They're, how to cook, because a lot of people never cooked before. There's, there's, there's a lot of essentials that people need to, get, need to get in place. But then I think it would be really beneficial to have a conversation about, okay, when we go back outside, when this thing is all over, do we want the world to go back exactly to the way it was? Or the things that we can do to maybe to maybe make them a, a little bit better, and I'm I'm hoping that yeah that the latter is the way that we go and we can start talking about okay let's let's mandate some things like putting solar on every rooftop of new construction here in Los Angeles or or in in, in Calif- Southern California in particular mm-hmm. because it just makes sense we have so much energy just being thrown at us by the sun every day yeah. it it's ridiculous to not use it here D- totally agree absolutely moving on from that. And if I look back to something that you said earlier on, because of the, the, the approach that you've taken to things like renewables and, and EVs and that, how much of that is influenced by the fact that you're now in Southern California? If, for example, you'd have stayed in Ohio, where they've got a completely different way of doing things, do you think your attitude would, would have been the same? I think so, only because, I, I mean, we, we do live in this strange era where our community is not not exclusively based on our geography and and my community is as much online as it is in where I'm physically located so if I lived in Ohio if I lived you know if I lived in the UK I think I would still have many of the same friends and people who are influencing and changing the way I think from from the community I have online those would be the same people so and and also I think I think that the, the fact is that the 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 opportunity for how certain technologies can improve things exists no matter where I go. And it would still fascinate me as someone who's kind of interested in that. Even, even from when we did Moon, you know, one of the things that I got excited about was, was fusion energy and how that could work and how exciting that would be. And even if that remains a couple of decades away, it's still something where I'm thinking, yeah, well, if they can crack that, that's going to that's gonna take care of that. What do they call it? I think the 99th percentile as far as energy that can, that, that as it stands could only be created by fossil fuels right now, sort of switch on, switch off, you know, that, that kind of energy. Yeah. You know, fusion, fusion power would, would take care of that. So, yeah, no, I, 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 I remain 
a bit of a dreamer when it comes to what what things could be. Did I presume you saw the um, fully charged episode that Helen Chesky did on um, on fusion power? Yes, I did. Yeah, I watched that about a week ago. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, as as she said, I think on it, it, it is one of those technologies that always remains just a little bit beyond. Um, where we are, but everyone feels like we're, we're, we're getting there. There was something I, I mentioned to you, I think, the other day about, was it, uh, flow batteries. Uh, just, just as far as creating, creating technology, I, th- I mean, you know, we have, there's, there's two big problems. There's, there's, the, there's the harvesting of energy, and then, there's, and then there's the storing of energy. And storing of energy has never been a big issue when, you're, when, you, when you don't really care, when you're basically using fossil fuels or nuclear power plants to basically just create energy constantly and just pumping it out there and trying to find ways to balance it. If you can actually store the energy, then you can use those things which are not so reliable, whether it's wind or solar or, or anything else or, or wave possibly. I mean, tidal is pretty, pretty predictable yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and wave maybe to a certain extent as well, but wind isn't and solar isn't, but that's why batteries kind of solve that dilemma. But sorry, going back to flow batteries is that that seems to be a technology where maybe, you know, home, home use or, or neighborhood scale storage could really balance things out in a big way. I know, I know, I know uh, Robert Llewellyn talks about, about um, balancing quite a lot as well as far as, you know, I, I know there are different tariffs in, in the UK where you can, where you can store, store energy, which you bought in the middle of the night and get it for a much cheaper price than if you were trying to take it at peak times. Mm. So I think home storage is another one of those big nascent technologies, which I think everyone's going to end up with. Yeah. I, th- I forget who it was, but there's somebody I follow on Twitter who he always puts out these posts that, that highlight a specific technology. And at the bottom of each one, he says, we have the technology to do this globally. All it needs yeah. is the political power to make it happen. And, you know, things like storage, things like thermal, things like onshore and offshore wind and waves, all the things you've talked about, individually, they're not going to solve the problem. But you put all of them together yeah. with a, a government that has the political will to make it happen. Yeah. And you could shut down all the coal plants overnight. You could shut down quite a large amount of the, you know, the gas usage. And yeah. you know, your base, whatever it is, the base load, yeah. will be taken by some of these other technologies. It's out there. We just need to have the, the will to do it. It is. It is about will. And, and it's also about finding a way to blunt the momentum of, of, of all the pre-existing technologies and beneficiaries, you know, fi- the financial beneficiaries of, of the way things are. Uh, you know, fi- find, a, <laughs> find a way to make it more attractive to everybody for, it, for, for us to move in a, in a direction which is more sustainable because... It can be done. As you said, it can be done. What I'm interested to understand, and I, I don't have any answers to this question, obviously because of the situation we're in at the moment, the demand for oil has dropped and the price of oil has dropped. And that's having an impact on the production of oil. So a lot, of, a lot more of it has been left in the ground than before. Do we see any sort of a knock-on effect for that as we come out of the, the lockdown? Where, do you have any inkling or any... There are a number of nations, Russia being one of them, and in particular, you know, Putin and, and the oligarchs that he's over the years put in place to control the fossil fuels from his country that will be constantly trying to push selling fossil fuels because that's where a lot of their finances come from. I think it's going to be very difficult to dissuade them of doing that. So the only real option that 
the UK has, I would, you know, I could talk about the US, but the, the UK is kind of more on my mind, is finding a way to be energy independent. Because right now we need gas and we need oil. And I, th- I don't think it's a very smart or secure place to be, to be dependent, to be that dependent on our energy needs from unreliable sources. It, it feels it feels like it would be better to be independent, and I really truly feel that that, that clean, reusable energy is the way to go. I, on a political level, I would suggest that one of the more powerful tools a politician would have would be to make the national defense argument about why we should make that shift. A lot of the a lot of the argument made is about the uh, about the pollution side of it, or pay possibly the sustainability side of it but i think there is a national security issue that could be made out of it and i think if you could convince people that that is a legitimate concern i think it gives the whole argument a lot more gravitas and things maybe will happen faster and i think some of the things that we've been seeing not necessarily in the energy world but in for for example the medical world medical provisions we've now got to the state where we're not whether we is the uk or the us we're not self-sufficient from that point of view, we've had to bring in from other companies. So there's a very good argument there to roll that on, as you say, to energy production. So, hmm. yeah, I mean, I think, I think there are some basic necessities, even though we live in a global community, I think there's some basic necessities that you should, you should be able to do yourself, you know, as a nation, if you want to call yourself a nation, there are some things that you should be able to do yourself. I think you should be able to put shelters over people's heads. Mm -hmm. You should be able to feed people. And you should be able to provide the energy for them. And I think, I think it's fine to allow the market to give you better ways to do that. But I think you should at least have those things available to you from your own nation should you need them. Totally agree. I want to come back to that in a minute, but I want to break off and do something just a little bit different at the moment. I've got six questions in front of me. <laughs> okay. But I'm only going to ask you one of them. Pick a number at random and I'll ask you one of the questions. It might be EV related. It might be food related. It might be something else. So a number between one and six, please. Uh, four. Four. What's your favorite joke? <laughs> Me talking with any kind of authority about anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> What's the favorite joke you tell your kids then? Oh my god, they're 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 just they're, they're all they're all poo and pee right now. My my daughter's going to be two on the day after tomorrow, and my son is three and a half and would never find me funny unless I'd done a pratfall or something like that. So <laughs> I have a tough audience. I have a very yeah. tough audience. <laughs> Excellent. All right, wind you back now around to politics, politicians, etc. With the recent election in the UK. Yeah. And the impending election in the US, is yeah. there enough focus on environmental issues? I mean, what would you like to see in terms of government incentives to try and push renewables and EVs forward? I mean, the recent budget here in the UK, they got quite a lot. Particularly, I heard that. I heard, and I heard it was surprising. I'm, I mean, um, I, I don't know enough about the UK politics right now to know, you know, other other than the big, you know, the, the most recent election and and what the issues were with that one and the personalities involved in that one and how that kind of, I think, skewed what people actually thought they wanted. Uh, you know, it's interesting to see where the UK's at and, and, and it's going to be interesting to see whether this 
experience with the pandemic actually shifts Tory policy on on who they think that they are most responsible to, whether it's you know the the, the lobbyists or or the the people. I'm hoping that maybe you know may, maybe this pandemic will shift opinion um, amongst them about you know who they're there to serve and how best they can do it. I don't know. Unfortunately, in the US, it seems to have done the opposite with Trump rolling back the standards at the EPA. Well, yeah, Trump is dangerously... Dangerous. Focused, well, yeah. I was, he's, he's dangerously focused on his own place in history. I don't think he's that concerned about anyone else, really. I think m- most of what he's about is what do people think of me and how can I make that happen? How can, how can they think about me more? <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be his his main policy uh, position, and and anything really goes as far as you know. He'll 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 be completely contradictory from one day to the other mm-hmm. if it fulfills those those kind of priorities. So I don't think anybody knows, and I don't and I think that lack of stability, as exciting as it may be for the pundits, is probably not particularly healthy for democracy. So hopefully, you know that will get resolved in November, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. <laughs> let's, um, let's talk specifically about now about electric vehicles. From the point of view of, I mean, obviously, I'm here in the UK. A lot of my listeners are in the UK. We know about the UK infrastructure, what the problems are, what the benefits are, all that sort of thing. We don't have a clear indication of what things are like, for the most part, in places like California. If you take the Tesla supercharger network out of things, yeah, what's your impression of the way EV charging is set up in in california specifically but in the u.s generally do you have a, well, a view on that yeah i mean in this this part of the country it's a car culture in that it's very difficult to actually get about without a car there is public transport system it's not nearly as mature or as you know, well thought out as is what we have in the uk or, or more in the Euro, in europe in general off street parking i would i would suggest is probably more common here at this point in time i think we're still in the phase of early adopters when it comes to evs i think even here in california just just the sheer number of cars and how of of ev cars and and how expensive they are in in comparison to second hand ice cars or even or even new ice ice cars I, I think if you can afford to buy an EV right now, you probably have off-street parking if you live here. So most people can, you know, park at home, park and charge at home. So the so a network of charging is less relevant now. But 100%, the only way it's going to grow and the only way people are going to be able to into buy into this better technology is if there is a better infrastructure, a more general one everywhere. And and again, I've seen a few things about sort of charging using you know, uh, swapping out parking meters and lampposts and things like that for devices that have that capacity, but also have the opportunity, you know, you can also charge off of them. I don't know how realistic that is because I know a lot of the infrastructure, and, 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 you know, is, is required to make that work. But it hasn't been, it, you know, people, people are not complaining about the inability to charge here as much. But like I said, I think it's because most people are able to, to, to park off street and to charge from home or, or at work. One of the things that there is a lot of here is if you go to the, you know, any, any larger parking area, whether it's for the supermarkets or, you know, or the shopping malls, they, they tend to have a decent amount of, of charging at those parking lots as well. 
What's it like in the UK for that? Well, it's interesting because obviously we've got the rapid charging and we've got the fast charging. So the fast charging is seven kilowatts, maybe yeah. even 22 kilowatts. There's a lot more of that than people uh, sort of estimate. For example, I don't know when was the last time you were at uh, Warner Brothers Studios in Leavesden, but they've now installed loads of seven, I think there's about 40 um, seven kilowatt chargers in the wow. Harry Potter experience at Leavesden. Yeah. But if you go around actually into the studio itself, rather than to the Harry Potter experience, they've now built a multi-story car park. And I think the whole of one floor is wow. charging. Yeah. They put a huge number in there. And a lot of the shopping malls in, you know, play, like where, near where I live in Reading, Basingstoke, yeah. they also have the charges in the, um, in the shopping centers as well. But the problem with a lot of people who are trying to sort of get into EVs in the UK is they don't see that as being a solution. They want, you know, almost like the petrol station option. Yeah. You pull up, you put something in, it takes a few minutes and you're out of there. So yeah. from a, a rapid charger point of view, there are, I mean, you look at London, there's loads of them. You come out towards but, where I am, there's quite a few. But maybe, maybe that's not the solution though. Maybe, maybe just because people want that, doesn't mean that that's what they really want <laughs> if that makes sense well, yeah. the thing is look when 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 people started getting phones no one was saying you know i i really need this to have a cord connected to the wall because that's what i'm used to you know, i need that cord otherwise how do i know if it's going to work <laughs> <laughs> you know you just had to people had to explain the technology and it's the same with the battery you know you don't you don't charge it while you're well, you can charge it anywhere you go but to be honest most of us charge it, you know, at night or when you're not using it for a while. And I think I think that approach to EVs really has to have a better communication, you know, done to it. A better, a, a, almost like a, a public service where how you live with an EV is different than how you live with a with a petrol car. And you don't need to go to the petrol station if you're charging your car at night. And because most of us don't go on long road trips all the time, the fact is. If you charge it overnight, you're never going to need to go to a fast charger. You're just going to, it's just going to be there and ready for you, ready to go full of energy in the morning when you go to work. Yep. You're, as Terry Wogan used to say, you're pushing against an open door here. I'm totally <laughs> uh, but, but what that actually speaks to, not for, you know, the early adopters, but for the general populace is there's a lack of education and that's one of the barriers to uptake. What do you see as yeah. some of the other barriers to the uptake? Well, like I said, I think I think off street parking is a, is a big one, and and I don't think that's been satisfactorily resolved yet. I I think asking people to go somewhere and then spend a decent amount of time waiting for their car to charge is not optimal. No. And and I think you know petrol cars do win the argument right now for that. If you can't charge at home, petrol cars feel better because you go in, you fill it up with petrol for like a couple of minutes. And then you're done and you can leave. And you can't do that with, a, with an EV right now. So if you can't charge it overnight, that is a problem. I, can't, I, I, th I feel that there are solutions. I do, I do believe, you know, I think, I think uh, again, one of your rivals uh, did a show about um, those char charging, uh, charging infrastructure, whether it's, you know, lampposts or, or parking meters and things like that, which at least open up options. Like if, if you have somewhere to park your car, which you must do if you own a car, if it, if it has to be on the street, then at least if there were a decent way for you to be able to charge with on-street parking, mm -hmm. that should alleviate 
you know, 90% of the problem. So I think that's, that's the next big one. I think education is a big one. And then on street parking um, is another one. Okay. Um, I'm conscious of the time. I know we've only got a few minutes left. So there's two more questions I want to ask and then one quick little game just before we go. Um, and the two questions are linked into, uh, they basically, they push both of your interests together. So there's the filmmaking and the, okay. the EVs. So uh, I don't know whether you're aware, but Watchmen, um, the recent series that went out, all the vehicles on that show were EVs. Right. Or electric conversions of existing vehicles. Is that something you'd consider in anything that you put forward, assuming it was uh, appropriate to do that? Well, both on, <laughs> yes, both on film and uh, in real life, I would consider it. The last film I'd made was this film called Mute, which is on Netflix. And, yeah. and there are a couple of different vehicles in that. Obviously, they were not electric vehicles, but we did remove the sound of them and mm. put in our own our own sound to sort of create something a little bit like, you know, what we might assume this, this, uh, this um, electric um, uh, powertrain might sound like, which actually reminds me, doesn't the, I think the I-Pace has, uh, doesn't it have customizable sounds for, for the car because it's an EV, but it doesn't actually produce. I think that's right. Yeah. I think it's in the inside. I think the weird thing is I think it's on the inside of the car. It's not the outside. Which I always thought would be kind of cool that you could kind of create your own sound system, you know, like a, like ringtones. You'd have your own sound system for how your car sounded. So you could just like record yourself going, ah, ah, and that would be the sound your car makes driving down the street. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but, but I think the iPace, at least, at least it gives you some customizable options as to what your, what your car sounds like to you as you push the accelerator, which I think is kind of fun. But that, I mean, that's the thing about an EV is, is that it really, you, you know, once the, once the basic technology is there, you, you can apply sounds to it and, and kind of customize it and, and, and make it what you want it to be. Lost my train of thought there. Oh, yeah. So, so you were asking about would I do it for my own car? There, um, yes, there is a, there is a, there, there's a customization company out here in, in, in uh, Southern California, somewhere between, somewhere between Los Angeles and San Diego that does that does custom cars and I've, and, and, and it would be amazing to get an old, you know, to do something truly sacrilegious and get an old muscle, like American muscle car and get it and get it EV'd up. But keep the sound. <laughs> and then record the sound and then me going as the sound for it. <laughs> on the subject of films and EVs, you and I both spent a lot of time on film sets and they're famously yeah. non-environmentally friendly. I mean, you've got, yeah. You know, half a dozen unit drivers sat there in the Jaguars with the engines running all day and yeah. you know, catering tends to use a lot of plastic in the meals and things like that. Now, yeah. I know I've been on a number of production recently where they've started to address some of those issues. Yeah. How prevalent is that over that side of the pond or is it just is it not on anybody's radar? I don't know yet. I, my, my last few films have been non-US based. So we were in Berlin for Mute. Mm-hmm. And we were in, um, we were in, uh, up in Vancouver in Canada for, for, for Warcraft, which was three and a half years. So, so that was a long one, but I have heard about this and, and I do think it comes from the top down. So look, when you're making choices on a budget, there's always going to be pressures to squeeze it down, squeeze it down, squeeze it down. But I think, you know, I know I will be putting that pressure on, on producers to, to try and find ways to do our bet on the environmental side of things. 
with any luck, if I, if you know, if, if things go the way we're hoping, we'll be making Road Trooper next, and and that will be out in the UK. And I'll certainly be pushing for for us to do whatever we can as far as EVs and 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 and, and, and um, you know things that are at least biodegradable when it comes to catering and things like that. And I can't imagine the the hit being too huge, com- in in comparison to the to the rest of the budget. But you know, like I said, everyone's every department is is often forced to squeeze their their budgets down. And you just got to find a way to take a stand on certain things and say, look, we, we really need to do the right thing here. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. To finish up here, I want to play a little game of sorts. I'm going to ask you a number of rapid fire multi-choice questions. And I want the first answer that comes into your head. There's no right oh, or wrong oh. answers. It's just like okay. Coke or Pepsi, that sort of thing. Just okay. to see where this goes. Are you ready? <laughs> All right. Model 3 or Model Y? Oh, Model Y. <laughs> Moon or source code? Source code. Okay. Source code's actually on the BBC iPlayer at the moment. Not sure whether you were aware of that. Oh, no, but thank you for telling everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Question three, UK or US? Oh, that's a hard one. I'm going to go with UK. Number four, iPace or Mac E? I'm going to go with iPace. Okay. And the fifth one, a large battery with long charge times but good range versus a small battery with quicker charging but shorter range. Quick, uh, quicker charging, shorter, shorter range. That's what I've gone for. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for that. That was fun. No, thank you. Absolutely. Who would you recommend to my listeners as someone to follow that you're aware of who, um, who has some good thoughts on EVs and renewables? On re- EVs and renewables? Oh, I know it's a bit, it's a bit boring, but I, I'd say Dan Caesar is, is, is really is a lovely bloke. And has always got interesting things to say. He's part of the fully charged crew, but um, he's an independent thinker. <laughs> and uh, no, I, I think I think Dan's Dan's great. Are you um, coming across the fully charged this year? You know, it's really hard with the kids. I don't think so. There's going to be one. There's going to be one out here in Austin. I think you know they did the first one in Austin earlier mm-hmm. this year. I think they're going to do another one next year. I'm hoping that if things work out, I can go to that. But I may be working by then, so I, I, I really don't know. My schedule is as thrown up in the air as it always is. Even with what's going on right now, my schedule was, my, my schedule was never particularly easy to nail down. That's why this, this, this fun meeting was so last minute. <laughs> I really, really appreciate your time. I've, I've been trying to get uh, sort of in touch with you for a while, and uh, I'm glad it all worked out so yeah, quickly as well. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. Thanks again to Duncan for that interview. He did realise after the interview that he wasn't 10 years younger than he actually thought, and he got his licence in 1989, not 1999. For those new listeners who were brought here as a result of hearing that Duncan was on the show, hello, welcome. If you'd like to hear more from this podcast, just search for EV Musings in your podcast app of choice. We have 41 back episodes at the moment, and in each one we focus on one key topic and discuss that in detail. Popular episodes include apps for finding chargers, the different charging networks, how much do EVs really cost, and our perennial popular favourite, myths and legends around EVs. Links are all in the show notes. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with you listeners. I never knew there was such a thing as electric flying car racing, but apparently there is, or at least there will be. An upcoming race series called Airspeeder will test batteries and related technology for vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. 
They look a little like something out of Star Trek and they're a cross between a drone and a bobsleigh. An unmanned prototype was demonstrated at Goodwood Festival of Speed last year. It's four metres long, has four 24 kilowatt electric motors powering the rotors. It flies at 200 kilometres an hour, 120 miles per hour, and the focus is on power and speed. Just like with the first series of the Formula E electric racing, the races will include a pit stop in the middle, and 50 minutes flying time is expected to be the limit for the first season before a battery change is needed. A manned prototype should be up and running by the end of the year, and that will lead to a racing series which looks as if it's going to be a cross between Formula E and the Red Bull Air Races. It sounds quite exciting, and more info is in the show notes. And that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I'm the Real Gary C on Twitter, or use the EV Musings Twitter account at Musings EV. If you're wanting a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything I've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise our visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, he was a big fan of the old Crazy Frog record that came out a few years back. Uh, when we were preparing to record, uh, he used to use it as a vocal warm-up exercise. I'm not sure he totally nailed it, though. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.